Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Holy heartbeat! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent! With your host, Brad Allen. Well, isn't that extra special? Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. What's up, everybody? This is your Thanksgiving edition of the Open Mic Podcast. It's good to be here. And I'm excited for you to check out today's guest. This is from the Quarantine Chronicles. We recorded this about a month or so ago. Comedian, international superstar, actor, performer, storyteller, YouTuber, podcaster. She does it all. The queen of comedy, Lunell, is on the show today. I'm excited for you to check this out and give it a listen. It's a lot of fun, and she is just the absolute best. We have a really honest and candid conversation about comedy, where things are going, joke writing, performing during quarantine, during this pandemic, and uh, her YouTube channel, just a lot of different things. She has performed and acted with some of the most amazing people, directors on the planet, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Again, I apologize. It's been a little bit, but uh, we are back on track with regular episodes Lunell, welcome into the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Thank you very much, Brett. I'm glad uh, glad to be here. Well, I'm excited to chat with you. I have been following you on social media forever, but since the pandemic and the lockdown, it seems like you have been keeping yourself quite busy with your podcast and your YouTube show and your Instagram live. The question is, how do you have time to manage it all? Because you seem quite busy. Life doesn't seem to have stopped for you since all of this uh, craziness has started happening. Well, I'm glad that it seems that way, but I did have a, you know, long period of um, uh, playing catch up, you know, with with rest that I actually had not had in many, many years. We don't really realize how fast we're going on the hamster wheel until it stops. And um, I definitely um, was able to make the most of this downtime just by better cooking better eating getting some rest starting a better vitamin regimen and all that since i was home but also i wanted to find a way to stay in um touch with my fans and have them see me since all the shows that i do were canceled and some of the movies have gotten pushed back so that's why i you know, do a, a more lives on Instagram than before and develop the YouTube channel that we'll talk about later. Yeah. Now, I'm just curious because I've seen some other comics like yourself doing this. Have you done any like Zoom shows? Have you thought about doing that? Or are you just more focused on, you know, just creating content otherwise with your podcast and your YouTube show and that sort of thing? Yeah, I absolutely am not willing at all to do any stand-up on social media because I feel like when the world does open back up and for the people who have been waiting patiently to see me live on stage, get dressed up and fill up the car and put their mask on and come and do whatever at that time, I feel like they should get something different than what a person can see for free or for a little bit of money on social media. They took the effort to actually get out the house 
and come out and see me. So they're going to get something that nobody on social media is going to be able to get. I think I owe the, um, the, the audience member that much, you know, that they get something different. So I'm not going to be persuaded or anything like that to do uh, any stand-up on, on, on social media. But I do have enough content and enough things going on that people won't get bored of me. And if you're a comic, you say things in a comedic way anyway. So you don't have to necessarily <laughs> stand up to give uh, people comedic content, you know? Yeah, no, I think that makes perfect sense. And I really appreciate your honesty and candidness, Lunel, because I, I agree with you. Like, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I watched a stand-up Zoom show. I, I won't mention the comic's name because it's not important, but it was kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, I paid, I think, $10.00 to watch it and it was cool to see this person perform but I don't know and I think you would agree with me that there's just something special about going to a club like I'm in the Bay Area you know San Francisco Oakland which I know you're from here and there are some great yeah. clubs here like Cobbs and you know the yeah. Punchline and there's mm -hmm. just something magical about going to see you in a club setting right 200 people we're all packed in there together Everybody's laughing yeah. and having drinks, and there's just yeah. that special moment, right? Right. And I'm not going to cheapen my brand. Not to say that other people are cheapening their brand. Sure. People do what they want to do. But for me, I think that even just seeing me on um, YouTube and stuff like that is not the same as coming to see me live and in person. And since I had, before the virus uh, hit, I had a residency in Las Vegas where loads of people want, you know, you don't have to twist somebody's arm to come to Vegas. You know what I mean? Sure. So every week I was at the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club, which is the only comedy club that's got a national television show attached to it. So I was able to do Kimmel last, this year? This last year. I was able to do Kimmel last year. And um, I plan on going back there. I had shows every Sunday night at 10 p.m. And I, I promise you, those people would, you know, chew their arm off to be there again, live and in person. Like you said, the drinks, the laughs, the vibe and everything like that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back on stage, but I'm not going to go out anytime soon until this is really taken care of. And I'm not going to do anything on, on social media then, other than be social. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. Well, you're a legend, in my opinion, and I'm certain of other people, too, because you've had one of the longest careers out of most comics because your brand has evolved over time. But Lunell, you know, you're the original bad girl of comedy, the queen of comedy, you know, all of these things and the monikers, and I, I find them to all be true. But you mentioned something interesting that I want to ask you about because I haven't spoken to a comic before who has had a residency. Now, I want to ask, how does that work in regards to, does that give you a guaranteed amount of time to perform versus going around from clubs to clubs? Do you get to choose to do both? Like, what what made you choose the residency? Is it convenience? I'm just, out of general curiosity, how that works for a, a comic like yourself. Well, how it was working before the, before the corona. Uh, hit was that I would do I would travel on Thursday I would do usually two shows on Friday 
Sometimes I would do it Thursday. I might travel on a Wednesday and do a Thursday, maybe at an improv, let's say Tampa Improv. And then I would do two on Friday and two on Saturday. Then Sunday morning, fly from wherever back to Vegas. And my show wasn't until Sunday night at 10 p.m. So that's six shows a week, five on on the road, and then one back on Sundays. Um, It was fine because, number one, wherever I was, when Monday morning came, I would only be an hour flight away from home. I wouldn't have to fly five hours from the East Coast or something. I would already have done that. So Monday was always just only an hour flight home. And uh, that was very convenient and helpful to not be so worn out on a Monday. Uh, although, you know, Sunday nights in Vegas, Sunday nights in Vegas is like a month anywhere else. I got to <laughs> tell you, so, um, you know, Monday morning can still be a, a drag unless you get a late checkout and late flight. But um, it worked for me because it was a place that I could call home. It was a place that people could always book. You know, because if you're coming to Vegas, you can always come and see me. You know, it, it was a different crowd because it was Sunday night at 10 o'clock. And if a regular person has to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning in Texas, they're not going to miss your show. So usually the people who come on Sunday nights are either wealthy or retired or they have, you know, Sunday Mondays off, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I I like that. That's interesting. I didn't know that. And that's why it was curious to me, because I know some people, that's kind of all that they do, but then you do it all. And you just keep going. And it's crazy, this whole pandemic, you know, kind of just stopped everything. And but you have found creative ways to keep the content coming that's different than what we might get when we come see you live, right? At a at a club or if you're touring. And are you doing a lot of writing as well during this time? Are you putting new content together? Is that part of all the other things that you have cooking over there? I think if anybody comes out of a four month quarantine doing the same material they were <laughs> okay. doing when they went in they can be easily labeled a hack, you know. <laughs> okay, yes, all right. Course, yeah, a hack. I don't I don't really write my material. I sort of just flow um and and go off the top of my head, but I do write bullet points. Okay. I'll be like, talk about, you know, this or talk about that or, you know, that subject and that subject. and then I have what they call the gift of gab. So I really just I don't like scripted comedy uh, um, as far as stand-up goes because then you don't have the freedom to go with the flow something might have happened two minutes before you get on stage and if you're just scripted maybe you would be hesitant to talk about that because you're too dependent upon your script I mean what if we had the earthquake that we had last night right before the show well I'm gonna talk about the earthquake you know what I mean sure so I'm very uh, spontaneous in that way. But to answer your question, yes, I have definitely um, come up with uh, material during this quarantine for sure. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) If you come come out of the quarantine with the same material that you came in with, that's funny. I love that. That that could be a a (laughs) You know, it's funny that you said that. And then also, just just to say um, again about the residency, See, some people do a residency and they're doing Vegas five shows or six shows a week. Sure. Those are the people who have to move 
to Las Vegas. But 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 the freedom in, in my residence is only during the one night. And then also, um, um, uh, as far as the, the material goes, you know, I not to brag, but I will pat myself on the back in as much as I can find comedy in anything. I mean, there was comedy at my mother's funeral. There's comedy, um, so it, it comes easy to me. I don't have to struggle in that vein, you know? Just, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because you talk about a lot of different things. And it's interesting because I was talking to Tommy Davidson recently. He was on the show and he has the same kind of approach, you know, where he will write bullet points down and then he'll go up on stage and he'll work his material. And then at that point, he can determine, you know, what's funny. And, you know, everybody has their style. But I like that because I think when you go to a club, and you watch people perform like yourself, it's always fun to see what you're going to say or come up with, right? And and it's always great, too, if you're local somewhere and you have an experience and then you talk about that experience that you have the day in the city, that always makes people laugh, right? Like if you're in Oakland Absolutely. or wherever, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? And And it's great because I think it adds a personal level to your performance, right? then you're oh i was in downtown san jose today and this you know whatever <laughs> and people are gonna laugh yeah i mean if i if i um if i'm in louisiana and then i go to georgia that those sets may be the same but when i come to the bay area you know uh you you make little tweaks like if i'm in uh san francisco i don't say ac transit i say muni if right. i'm in the Oakland, I don't say Muni, I say AZ Transit. I can talk about the BART as opposed to the L train or the, you know, or, or, or something like that in another place because I'm very, very familiar with the Bay Area and then that makes the people feel even more at home. And in Vegas, like my, I have the common sense to know that in Vegas, the audience is different than anywhere because a Vegas audience is mo- a lot of times tourists. And you may have tourists that you may have fans that don't even speak English. They may just know me from Borat, or they just may, you know, <laughs> they may, you know speak, um, you know, be from uh, Romania, which is actually where we shot or something like that, and they see my face and want to come see me. They may not even understand what I'm saying, but you have to be very versatile in your material to play Vegas. If you're a, a Latin comic, you can't just come and talk only about the Latin su- subject and experience because you got too many white folks and Asians and Persians and <laughs> okay. everything in the audience because it's a tourist audience. So I don't just do black comedy when I go to Vegas. I do, uh, uh, you know, talking about weight or your kids or relationship or money or the dentist, that's universal. Everybody goes through that. And that's how I try to do my comedy uh, unless I'm, you know, down somewhere in in the Bible Belt, and then I might change up a, a few things there as well. But I try to be real, you know. You I, I, First of all, you're not going to get a, a residency in Las Vegas unless you're versatile. You won't even get one. You know, you have to be, you have to be able to re- be relatable to everybody. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great that you're adaptive to your audience. You know, it's funny that you talk about the Bay Area. I think I saw Alonzo Bowden or maybe DL at uh, Tommy T's here. And of course, the first thing is, oh, I had to pay $8 to cross the Bay Bridge, you know, and then it's just like hilarious because we know, I think you said something 
that that was too expensive, that he would rather swim across or something like that, you know, and then it just and brings, they didn't have to pay eight dollars across the bridge. It took, could have took the bark for two. So yeah, I up. know. <laughs> and they just laugh <laughs> about that, you know. And of course, everybody, it doesn't matter who you are. It's funny because it's relatable. Now, you've sure. been doing this for a very long time, and I know kind of turning the clock back, you're, you were born and you were raised here in Oakland and you got your start, you know, hosting that show, uh, Soul Beat. I think Chuck Johnson, Chuck Johnson was running it and that show ran for a long time. But I want to ask you, when you, before you started doing entertainment, because I know you did comedy and then movies and we'll get into that. Was this something that was always a natural appeal to you growing up? Did you want to do this? Did you go, I can be funny? Or were you a funny person? Like what kind of got you from there to getting discovered to to host this show? And then of course, now, you know, you're you're famous on a very national level. What was that path like for you specifically? Well, first, just to correct a few things, I'm famous on an international yes, level. International. International. Yes, international. <laughs> yes. Okay, and, and yes. Also, Beat is not a show. Beat was a network. Like, okay or like Bravo within the Sobe television network were other shows which I was so that I was on television in the Bay Area before I ever came to LA so and this was back before people really knew how to program their VCRs and stuff so literally people would stay in the house and watch my show until it was over and then you could leave at the house and I would go to the bank or stuff and people would be like, oh, I was just watching you. I was just watching you. And we all came out asking at the same time. But um, what led me to the path is, was actually theater. The first thing I ever did to really perform in front of everybody was theater. I think I played Mrs. Santa Claus when I was in school play, young, young, young. And then I um, got into church choir and that's sort of like having a rehearsal on Wednesday and having a show on Sunday and having to retain every your musical script within those those four days. So that taught me discipline and training. And then I went from choir into theater. And um, uh, I'd had, you know, I did theater in college. I went to the Oakland Ensemble Theater, which is actually the Alice Art Center now in Oakland. And I got trained there. And the first two movies that I ever did, the first one was by a fluke, but it was So I Married an Axe Murderer, actually filmed there in San Francisco. Mike Myers' first film before he did Austin Powers or anything had um, Mike Myers and Anthony LaPaglia and Alan Arkin and um, just a whole bunch of uh, crazy people. So I married an axe murderer. Then the second film, the film that I got my SAG card with, was um, The Rock with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. And those were the first two movies I did, and that was in San Francisco. Also, one more thing, I, I was only raised in Oakland for a short time. Then my parents moved me to the suburbs, to Castro Valley and Hayward, California. Oh, yeah. I was educated all through Castro Valley and Hayward and graduated from Cal State Hayward, Bachelor of Arts degree in English literature. Then I moved back to Oakland and then from Oakland to uh, late, later on, years later, to Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, you've done just so many fantastic things, of course. You know, you've done two Eddie Murphy films, which were both in a year. You have Coming to America, too, that's getting ready to come out next year, I believe. And, of course, My Name is Dolomite, which is just a fantastic film. And if people, yes, if people haven't seen it, they're missing out, right? Because it's such an iconic telling 
of that story and your role in it is just fantastic. And how was that experience for you making that film? It just had to be unbelievable. Well, um, uh, Dolomite, I mean, um, uh, Coming to America, by the way, is alleged to come out August 18th. I mean, December 18th. December 18th. Okay. So it may not be next year. It may. We're hoping for this year because I'm about to get a hemorrhoid keeping all these pictures in my phone from behind <laughs> the seat for you know, that I haven't been able to post. I've been able to show somebody up there in my house, but I haven't been able to leak like one photo from the set. And I'm dying to do that because I have some amazing, beautiful, wonderful photos from that movie. But Dolomite is my name. I had to audition the regular way. I, I knew Rudy Ray Moore. I worked with Rudy Ray Moore like five times up in the Portland, Seattle area. And I have things in my house right this very second that he gave me, VHS tapes and um, bobblehead dolls and albums and stuff. So when I got an audition call for Dolomite, I said, Dolomite? You mean Dolomite, Dolomite? Like, who's doing You just didn't think anybody <laughs> was doing a movie about Rudy, uh, which was so ironic because I know the one thing that Rudy wanted to be was not forgot. So I got the audition and I went and I actually auditioned seven. I had seven callbacks and even an old school screen test like they used to do in the day where they dress you up like the person. Uh, I auditioned for Craig Brewer, who had previously done Hustle and Flow who did Dolomite Is My Name, and who also did Coming to America, too. Now, um, I auditioned for the part. Did you see the movie? Oh, absolutely. I've seen it twice. Okay, so I really auditioned for the part of Lady Reed, Queen B. Yes. Who uh, Divine Joy Randolph ultimately got that role. I think she did a great job. I think we are perfectly cast in what we were casting. That's the genius, I guess, of being in casting or being a director. So when I didn't get the part of Lady Reed, Craig had grown so fond of me that he put me in the movie anyway, and I ended up playing uh, Rudy Ray Moore's aunt. The other beauty of that was that I already knew Eddie. If I was meeting Eddie for the first time, I might would have, you know, had a um, urinary accident on myself, <laughs> let's just say, meeting that icon. But I knew Charlie better even than I knew Eddie. Rest in peace, Charlie Murphy. Charlie and I made a film together. Charlie and I did stand-up together. I saw Charlie on the road with George Lopez and the gang when they were doing the black and brown comedy get-down, DL, Cedric the Entertainer, and um, Charlie and, and George Lopez. And, um, uh... I uh, just I knew Charlie. I had known Eddie just from social circles. We'd been at a certain parties together. We'd be at a premiere together or something like that, um, rap party or something. So I knew we had already had pictures taken with Eddie. So when it came time to act with him, I wasn't all freaked out. I was freaked out enough just because I was so excited and never thought that I would live to see the day that I would be on film with Eddie. You just don't dream that in your wildest dreams. And that's where God comes in because he dreams, you know, bigger dreams for us than we can dream for ourselves. So I was very excited to do that. And being that I had auditioned seven times and done the Dolomite movie, Craig threw me in coming to America, the quest as well, without an audition. He just like, I want you to play this part. And I was like, okay. And so being working with all the legends that were in the first one from John Amos to Louis Anderson to Vanessa Bell Calloway to, you know, the new there's other new people in there, Wesley Snipes and others that I can't name, but everybody knows Wesley's in it. So 
uh, it was just, you know, too much of a dream come true to do two Eddie Murphy, two of Eddie, two Eddie Murphy comeback films in the same year was, was you know, one that I could ask for. One that I could yeah, ask for. yeah. I mean, that just has to be an absolute dream come true for you to just, I mean, some of the things that you have done, you know, as I was researching and just looking at things, you've had an incredible career and you, you've just been so fortunate and blessed i would even say to do some of the things that you've done and and to just have a a career that has been so sustainable for so long it's just unbelievable to me and i i and i say that in in the most respectful way because i i've talked to so many different people but to keep going and to keep working and to just the relevancy is spectacular i want to ask you out of all of these things that you have done and all the career choices that you've made. And if the answer is yes, that's great. And if not, no, that's perfect as well. Is there anything that you would have done differently if you had the opportunity to do it over again? Would you have done anything differently or would you have kept everything the same? I probably would have kept everything the same. But the one thing that comes to mind is when the first Deaf Comedy Jam auditions were coming around, some of the first auditions were at Tommy T's way back when Tommy T's used to be in San Leandro off of Estadillo. And I got very, 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 very nervous. And I knew like 15 of my friends would be there. And I drank a whole bunch of booze that day (laughs) and had sex with some old guy and took a (laughs) couple of pills. And I got really, really wasted and, and blew the audition. I I um I uh I was doing good. I was killing it. But then I started repeating myself, and my friends actually had to come up on stage and oh, get me no. off stage and shoot me out the back door. And that was the end of that. I never did do Israel Deaf Comedy Jam, but I did end up doing BET's Comic View for nine seasons in yeah. a row. And then when it comes to acting, you know, people can be shallow, and some of the people uh, I heard people say that uh, people had Def Jam on their resume, they didn't want to see them because I guess they felt like they couldn't be not blue, not, 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 not do, not be associated or affiliated with with blue material. And so they wouldn't be seen in the audition room, but I never had that on my, uh, and that's not true, by the way, Um, a blue comic, unless you have Tourette's syndrome, we can absolutely do, you know, kind of <laughs> oh, we flip the same switch that we do when our grass or something and you just don't do it. But um, I, I was lucky enough to not have that on my resume. And so I didn't have that preconceived notion, even though I was absolutely that way in real life. But, um, you know, it didn't say it on paper. And so... Um, uh, that's why I think I've also been able to have a good uh, crossover career. I've done as many, you know, if we can just speak bluntly, I've done as many white projects as I've done black ones. You know, look at the two movies I did. You don't get no whiter than Mike Myers. And then you got Sean Connery <laughs> and Nicholas Cage. And then, uh, you know, of course, I, you know, went on to do other crazy stuff and, you know, toured with Cat Williams and all that kind of stuff. But then I, you know, also did Borat. I did three Adam Sandler movies. You know, I've worked with um, Sandra Bullock. I've worked with Bradley Cooper. I've worked with Beyonce. So I've done all those things and then worked with crazy John Witherspoon as well. Worked with the Wayans as well. Worked with David Allen Greer as well. So 
I have a pretty well-balanced demographic in my audience. Yeah, I would say so. Now, I'm trying to remember because it's been a long time since I've seen The Rock. You are you had the line when you guys, this is just a sidebar, to be honest with you, and just out of a moment of humor. In The Rock, your line was, you were in the prison, right? And you said something, every, I have a gun, everybody has a gun. Is that, that was you, right? Or am I, please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to remember your scene in The Rock because I do remember it, but it's been quite some time since I've seen it. Um, I was, that, you're absolutely right. Okay. When, the, uh, when, when Ed Harrison and Gregory Harris took the tourists hostage. Okay, I thought so. Cells and Alcatraz, I was locked in a cell with the tour guide. And I was like, you know, I've got a gun. I've got to know this was going to happen out about my own gun. <laughs> and what people don't know, what people don't know, I don't know if Jerry Bruckheimer or, 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 or Michael Bay even know. They might have just thought I was fat. But I was seven months pregnant when I filmed that. And if you ever go back and watch it, you see the way I get up off the bench uh, to stand up and grasp the cell bars. I didn't just stand up. I kind of had to waddle up. That's because I was pregnant. Okay. And they had me dressed in a sweatsuit. But they probably just thought I was fat. <laughs> <laughs> you are. So a job. Nobody tasks you in a job for a movie on Alcatraz where there is no hospital. You have to cross back. Then nobody hires you seven months pregnant for a role. They just thought I was a fatty. That's what it was. That is hilarious. I remember that line. I was laughing so hard. That was classic. That that was just so funny. It was the only funny line in The Rock, except for a little bit of Nicolas Cage. That's a pretty hardcore movie, you know? It is, yeah. Well, it's a classic one. I think it's a Top Gun-type film for, you know, my generation, yeah. uh, for sure. Well, as we wrap up here, Great. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about your YouTube show which is the best. Let's talk about that. Uh -huh. If people haven't seen it, what can they expect? And how did the YouTube show come about? Okay, well, the YouTube show came about actually from another comedian friend of mine who was doing a YouTube show. And they said, Renell, you're around the house. You ought to just do a YouTube show. You know you know how to do it. You was on TV in Oakland for years, so you know how to do it. And I was like, mm, maybe, you know, maybe. I thought about it. I said, okay. So the first episode was called Live from the Crib. I was just sitting on the couch yes. saying what I'm about to try to start to do. And then from then, my set became more and more sophisticated. We went to the dining room table. Then we got the ring light. Then we got the microphone. And we got a little mixing board. And then we went to the headphones. And now I'm getting ready to get a new laptop so that we can download um more um, uh, 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 technology to be able to do split screen stuff. Because as of right now, I have no guests on my show. It's just all me. And the show's called Hey Lunell. If you follow me on Instagram, you can just click the link in the bio. My Instagram is just at Lunell, L-U-E-N-E-L-L. -L. You can click the link in the bio. It'll take you straight over to my channel. And you can subscribe, get notifications to know when I post. And if not, you can just go straight to YouTube and put in Hey Lunell, H-E-Y-L-U-E-N-E-L-L. You wouldn't be surprised how many people I have to spell hey for. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> so um, so you put in Hey Lunell, you put in Hey Lunell, and that takes you to my show, channel as well, where you can subscribe and get notifications. I just talk about, you know, when, 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 when everything was going down in the pandemic, I talked about that when everything was 
looking like a race was about to begin. I talk about that. I went down that rabbit hole and was depressed just the same as everybody else. And it showed. But then <clears throat> after a couple of weeks of being a hardcore revolutionary, you know, I had to try to pull myself back out of the rabbit hole to, re- to realize that the people are looking to me for relief. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking to me to help them stop hurting at least for an hour and looking to me for um, some entertainment that they are missing since I'm not out in the road. So I had to bring back, I had to find my comedy again. I had to, I had to bring myself back out. But the show is doing very well and I need new subscribers all the time. So please, you know, if you have any love for Lunel, check me out. Um, you know, we, we, we're going to, we're going to keep growing and doing different things and adding new technology. But right now it's just, you know, like your homegirl sitting talking to your auntie or your cousin or something like that. And I have little sponsors and I always have a quarantini and um, an edible. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yes, well, no, this has just been an absolute pleasure and dream to chat with you. I've been a fan for a very long time, and I'm thankful for the medium to be able to have this conversation. We covered it just in bits and pieces here, but if you want to learn more about Lunell or support her during this crazy time, we can go to your YouTube show on YouTube. And also, what are your socials for people to connect with you? And if they want to buy your merchandise or your or your or your comedy, how can they do that? Okay, my comedy is on all streaming 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 services: uh, iTunes, Spotify. I have clean comedy. I have dirty comedy. I have Christian comedy. Believe it or not, I have a, 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 a CD available that was recorded at church. So that's called Let the Church Say Rolling on the Floor. And my other CD is live. Um, my last one is I Only Drink at Work, which I <laughs> yes. always did. And then I have one before that, this Lunell Live, and I think that was recorded at Tommy T's in, um, in, in Pleasanton. Um, so you can also buy T-shirts or bags at heylunell.com, H-E-Y-L-U-E-N-E-L-L.com. You can go there and check out my website. My uh, fan page on Facebook is the official Lunell, the official Lunell. And once again, YouTube is Hey Lunell, the YouTube show. My Instagram is at Lunell, at L-U-E-N-E-L-L. And you can always feel free to um, hit me in my DMs on Instagram say, hey, I heard you on on the mic with Brett Allen, and I'll, I'll definitely write you back. Fantastic. Well, Lunell, thank you for being on the podcast today. I really do appreciate it. You're the man. It's so good, and, and, and I have much love for the Bay Area, and you will see me again. That brings today's episode to an end. Thanks for choosing to stop by and listen. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.